0: we go ahead and jump right in. Today we are going to be talking about personal growth versus personal mission. All right? Personal growth versus personal mission. And you can see by way of the word personal what I'm talking about a little bit. This is going to be hopefully very applicable to our everyday lives. We need to walk in these things. We need to step in these things actively in order to truly get what Scripture is showing us. But we do see a little bit of of a conflict between the two, and we'll unpack that as we go. But we're going to ultimately see how these come together in a way that should enlighten our path and really push us forward into what God has for us, okay? So before we jump in, I don't want to move into this too quickly. Why don't we just say a quick word of prayer so we can kind of all settle in and make sure that we are open for what God has. So if you could pray with me. If you're online, please bow your heads with us. Heavenly Father, so grateful. Man, just so grateful to be here today. so grateful to feel your presence in the way that we have, just to know that you're with us, that you're amongst your people, and that we get to just spend some time with you. And we're so thankful for that. We want to continue to lean into that with everything that we have. And right now, I pray that everybody under the sound of my voice, That you would open up our hearts and minds, myself included, to receive this word the exact way that we need to. I pray that you would soften our hearts. I pray that you would open our minds so that this fits right in the perfect spot for what each one of us needs in our own personal lives, in our own personal application. We ultimately rely upon you. This must come from you, through you, and for you. And that's what we step into today. We give you all the glory, all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's go ahead and jump on in. So as we've been doing the last few weeks, this is how we're going to break this down. We're going to really separate each one of these topics, get to know them intimately, and then we'll see ultimately how they come together at the end. Okay? So why don't we first jump into the idea and the concept of personal growth? Okay, why don't we talk about this a little bit? And when I say personal growth, really what I'm talking about is, is spiritual growth, right? The, the personal spiritual journey that each one of us is on. And, um, and here's the first thing that we need to understand. Personal growth must be a mark of every genuine Christian, Okay, spiritual growth must be a mark of any true child of God. Okay, we see zero sense in scripture where we give our lives to Christ and then just kind of linger for the rest of our days. Just kind of stand still the rest of our days. That's not what scripture shows us. In fact, we talked a little bit about this last week, but when you truly give your life to Christ, everything should change. Your perspective should change, the way you think should change, and that is very much included within this idea of growth and development. It should change how we move forward and mature in Christ. And in fact, this is something that the New Testament writers were were very, very serious about. We see this very clearly, especially from the early disciples who were on the scene. So the early church leaders that we see... We're very serious about this, and and if they saw people who were not properly growing and developing spiritually, then they would kind of call them out on it, okay? They would shoot them straight with this, And, and so let me give you a few examples of how this plays out in Scripture. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and this is the Apostle Paul, so he's writing, he's advising the church of Corinth, and watch what he says to them. He says, and I, brethren... Could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to men of flesh, as to infants in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, for you were not yet able to receive it. Indeed, even now you are not yet able. he's he's, he's kind of laying into them a little bit. You're you're not growing, you're not developing. I have to keep giving you milk because you can't take the solid food that you really need. He's he's really leaning into this idea of growth and maturity. Now, we get the same exact sense from the writer of Hebrews. This is Hebrews chapter five. You're gonna see a very familiar theme here, starting in verse 12. It says, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. So we're seeing a very similar theme here, right? And and what we're seeing is these people need to grow. You need to grow and develop. In fact, he says you ought to be teachers by now. You you should know this stuff well enough to be able to teach others, and yet we still have to go to the basics with you guys. And so he's leaning into this idea. You have to grow. You have to mature in your spiritual walk. In fact, the writer of Hebrews goes on to say this in chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity. Let's, let's, Let's get past the basics, and let's press on to maturing in our spiritual lives. So this is a very serious act in your relationship with God. This should clearly mark your life if you've truly given yourself to Christ. We should be growing. We should be maturing as Christians, okay? But how do we do that? Okay, maybe it makes sense. We we should be growing. We should be maturing. But what exactly are we to grow in so that we make sure we're on the right path and, uh, and so I wanna talk about a few of these things. Now, this is in no way gonna be an exhaustive list because there's so much in scripture that we see around this. But I do wanna talk about a few things. And anytime we talk about spiritual growth around here, anytime, we always have to start first and foremost with the fact that we are to grow in Christ, okay? This is the foundation. We have to grow in him. So he is, he is the center he is the base that we build upon. In the book of John, it says that he is the vine. We must abide in him. So, so any growth that we experience must ultimately come from Christ, okay? Now, let me show you some scriptures around this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. It says, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. So, so don't try to lay any other foundation. Don't try to build upon anything else. Christ must be our foundation, Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15 says, But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. So, yeah, grow up in all aspects, but make sure it's in him, okay? And then Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him. Okay, So he's he's just going to continue to dig in here. We have to make sure that Christ is our foundation. We have to make sure that we are growing in him, rooted and built up in him. This must be first and foremost. Okay, This is where growth comes from. But once we've kind of laid that as our foundation, once we make sure our feet are, are planted in him, what else are we to grow in? And this is when we're gonna get into some of the more practical things that we need to be aware of and we need to apply to our everyday lives, okay? So let's go to uh, 2 Peter chapter three because he's gonna give us some really good insight here into what we should be growing in as God's people. And so this is what he says, starting in verse 17. He says, you therefore, beloved, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the air of unprincipled men. Be on your guard but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What do we need to grow in? Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So as his people, we need to be growing in grace and in knowledge. Now, interestingly enough, these are the very things we've been talking about the last few weeks, right? We talked a ton about grace in week one. We talked about knowledge last week. And these are things we need to be serious about but I wanna dig into this a little bit just to make sure we understand what Peter is talking about when he commands this, okay? So let's talk about this for, for a second. Now, when Peter says that he wants us to grow in knowledge, I just wanna make it clear, um, this is not a trick. There's, there's no like hidden message here. He wants us to grow in knowledge. He wants us to learn. He wants us to grow in wisdom and understanding. This is what he's saying very clearly, okay? But at the same time, We do have to understand that this pursuit of knowledge is something that must be motivated by relationship with God. In other words, we're not just learning information for fun or to to get big heads. That's not what we're doing. Our pursuit of knowledge is a relational pursuit. In fact, Peter even says, I want you to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the pursuit to get to know him. That's what we need to grow in. Okay? So I want you to maybe think about it this way, and hopefully this will personalize it a little bit. But I want you to, to think about the person that is closest to you in life. The person that is closest to you. Okay? You, you spend a ton of time with them. You have a ton of conversations with them. The, the person closest to you. And, and I want you to think about how much knowledge do you have of that person? How much knowledge do you have of them? Now, considering how much time you've spent and the conversations you've had, I'm going to bet you have a great deal of knowledge around that person, right? You, you know their likes, you know their dislikes, you know their little intricacies, right? You know what makes them happy, you know what makes them sad or maybe a bit angry. You know these things very well. And, and this is what knowledge in the context of relationship looks like. This is what Peter is trying to get us to understand. We need to grow in the knowledge of God so that we can build relationship with him. This is what he's talking about. And so listen, this is where things like prayer and reading the Bible, among other things, come into play. This is where these things come into play. Now, I know that because we talk about those things all the time and because they've been drilled so heavily over the course of history, we really do view those things as like very mechanical steps that we are to take. Like we, it seems very forced. It seems like it's an obligation to us. And and that's a a really messed up view because ultimately what these are are relational tools that allow us to grow in the knowledge of God. It's how we get to know his likes and his dislikes. It's how we get to know what makes him happy or or what grieves him. This is how we do that. It's relational tools to grow in Christ. And so we need to lean into them, right? We need to be given to them so that we truly are growing in this area of our relationship, okay? Okay. But now let's talk about this concept of growing in grace because this is is a little bit more complex. We kind of have to unpack this in a different way, but it's a really cool idea that I wanna lay out before you. And so let's start with this, okay? Two weeks ago, we described grace as God's goodness toward those who deserve only punishment, okay? His goodness toward those who deserve only punishment. So that is to say, he just continuously gives us blessings, and in favor and kindness, despite the fact that we deserve wrath and judgment and condemnation, right? Just continues to bless us even though we don't deserve it. Now listen, if we really understand that concept, like if we really contemplate what that means for our lives, that our sins are paid for, that we get to spend eternity with God because of his amazing grace, like if that sinks in, then don't you think that should cause us to grow in some areas of our life? Like, like, don't you think that should cause us to grow in the area of joy? Like, shouldn't we be more joyful in our lives if we really understand the concept of grace? Shouldn't we grow in freedom? Like, let go of all the things you're hanging on to, stop being so hard on yourself. You should grow in freedom because of his grace, right? Or how about, how about dedication? Like, if, if Jesus has done this for you, if he's accomplished this for you, Shouldn't you go all in on him? Shouldn't you grow in your dedication for him? These are the things that we should grow in as a result of his grace. His grace is not a one-time thing that we should thank him for and move on. It's something we should meditate on, something we should worship him for and realize the impact of it in our lives. So this is what Peter is trying to, to show us. You need to grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, okay? This is very, very serious There's no doubt about it. This must be a mark in any genuine Christian's life, okay? Personal growth. Now, let's talk for a second about the potential danger that we can get into if if we prioritize this too much. Like if this is something that becomes too much of an emphasis in our lives, what danger can we potentially walk in? And I think there's one major thing that we've seen over the course of time, and that is um, personal growth for the purposes of personal growth, uh, isn't all that impactful. In other words, if, if all you're focused on is improving yourself and growing yourself, the impact of that is very narrow and one-sided, right? And, and we see this again throughout church history. In fact, it wasn't but a few hundred years ago where the greatest hobby of any middle upper class man was to sit around and flex his biblical knowledge, right? That's the thing they did. They would argue about biblical distinctions and theorize on prophecies and and dig into this stuff. I mean, they would go to town. That's That's what was going on. And yet if you go and read the rebukes of the 16th and 17th century churches, it's this very thing. Super dedicated to biblical knowledge and, and to, to spiritual growth, and yet there was nothing that was going on outside of them. It was very narrow. It was very one-sided, and so there was this imbalance in the church and in the community around the church. There was, there was a problem going on here because there was too much emphasis on this one thing, okay? And so this is actually what leads us to our second topic today that we really need to dig into, and that is the idea of personal mission, Okay. Personal mission. And so let's start here with this concept and, and try to begin to unpack this. When we talk about the word mission, and that's something we talk a lot about, something I think we've all probably heard before in different contexts, what exactly do we mean when we say the word mission? Now, that's a, that's a pretty loaded question, okay? We could take that in many different directions, but in order to really personalize this and make it applicable to our lives, I wanna go down this particular path, okay? The term mission is actually something that comes from a Latin word meaning to send. It comes from a Latin word meaning to send, which means inherently built within this word is the idea that we are going to do something, that that we are going to accomplish something. Inherently, it's outside of ourselves, right? And, And we see this very clearly in Scripture directly from Jesus, So let's go to John chapter 20, verse 21. He says it very clearly. He says to his disciples, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus says, I'm sending you. In other words, I have a personal mission for you. And what is that mission? Well, did you notice that he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you which means that Jesus was sent for a purpose. And what he's communicating is, you are to continue in that purpose. You are continuing to work for that very same purpose. And so let's talk about this for a second and see where this ultimately leads us to, okay? So, so what was Jesus sent for? And therefore, what are we sent for, okay? And so let's start with this. One of the things that we see very clearly in the New Testament, I mean, we cannot deny this, we cannot overlook this, It's very simple, but also very important. Jesus was sent to love people. This is why he was sent, to love people. Ephesians 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ has loved you. Just as he has loved you, you need to walk in love. Now, isn't that that a cool concept? That means this is something that we should actively walk in. It should be a part of our everyday lives. We should be loving others all the time, something we should walk in. And again, Scripture is just all too clear about this concept. Let me read a few of these real quick to you. First John chapter 4 says, Since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Later in the chapter, we love because he first loved us. John 13, just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. 1 Corinthians 16, let all that you do be done in love. Let me say that again. Let all that you do be done in love. Now later Jesus says, you know what? This is actually how they're going to know that you're my disciples. This is how they're going to know that you have been sent from me if you love one another. This is what we should be about. This should be a part of our identity as Christ followers. We are called to love people. Now, we talk about that a lot, okay? In fact, it's part of our purpose statement is to love people. But what exactly are we talking about when we say that? Because the the concept of love does seem to kind of evolve over the course of time. So I want to be really clear about what that means for you. And so let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and as we read through this, I want you to personalize this. Like, I want you to think about this in your everyday life and your relationships and your dealings with other people. Think about how powerful this would be. Starting in verse four, it says, Love is patient, love is kind and is not jealous, does not brag and is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own. Is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Now, there is a ton of content in there that if we would apply that to our everyday lives and how we treat and see other people would completely change, would completely change how we live our lives. We have to be serious about this. Are you patient with other people? Are you kind towards other people? Do you forgive other people? Do you endure all things in your relationships? This is part of your personal mission, to love other people. Jesus has sent you to love other people. This is your mission, okay? Now, let's get to the second one so we can keep moving forward here. And the second one is, is uh, very similar in terms of it being a simple concept, but it's, again, something we have to be serious about putting into our everyday lives. Here's the second reason that Jesus was sent. He was sent to serve. Jesus was sent to serve other people. Watch what it says in Mark chapter 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus did not come to be served. He came to serve other people. Now we read that and we're like, oh, that's really cool. I want you to think about how radical and unbelievable an idea that is. That the son of God, we're talking all powerful, all knowing God in the flesh, instead of coming in pride and in arrogance, which he had the full right to do. In fact, it probably would have made more sense if he would have came that way. And yet that's not at all what we see. It says he humbled himself was made in the likeness of men. He didn't come to show off his power. He didn't come so that people would be in awe of his great stature. That's not what we see. Instead, he came to serve. And that's clearly what we see throughout the gospels. He's healing people. He's, he's standing up for the poor and for the widowed. He's washing the feet of his disciples. He's laying down his life for his people. All of this was to serve the people around him because that's what he was called and sent to do. Now, if that was Jesus's perspective, how much more should that be our perspective? How much more should we be selfless? How much more should we be servant-hearted with the people around us? So I want you to think about it this way. I want you to, right now in your mind, I want you to go into your world, where, wherever God has placed you. Right now, I want you to go there in your workplace, And your circle of friends, uh, and your home, everywhere that God has placed you. And I want you to start asking yourself these types of questions. How can I better serve the people in my life? How can I better serve them? How can I help them? How can I put myself aside and prioritize them? How can I have this perspective? Because that's what we need to walk in. This was the mindset that Jesus had. He could have stood around and bragged about about his wisdom and knowledge, and he could have reveled in his omnipotence. That's not what he does. He serves the people around him in love and in joy. And this is part of your personal mission. This is why you've been sent, to love other people and to serve other people. Go outside of yourself. This is your mission. But then we have one more that we have to be honest is, is probably number one on the list. We see a lot of mission, a lot of purpose in scripture, but this one definitely seems to rise to the surface most often. And that is Jesus was sent, and therefore we are sent to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Watch what he says in Luke chapter four. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me, there's mission. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed. This is why Jesus was sent, to proclaim the good news of what he was about to accomplish. And what is that? Through his death and resurrection, we can be forgiven of our sins, restored back into relationship with God, and live eternity in his presence. That's the good news that Jesus came to accomplish. Now watch what he says in Luke 19, because he says this really directly. He says, for the son of man has come. Why did he come? To seek and to save that which is lost. To seek and to save that which is lost. This is why he came. This was his mission. And make no mistake about it, it must be ours too. We must seek, we must seek after those who need him. We must spread the good news of what he's done in our lives. This is what he's called us to do. This is what he's called us to do. Now, when we talk about this idea of personal mission, we dig into what this means for us and what this looks like. I think this is one of those topics that we can't really take to an extreme. Like, if you think about it, could we ever love people too much? Could we ever serve people too much? Could we ever spread the gospel too much? I don't think that's the case. But here's where I think we can mess up with this concept. And this is so important, so important. But I think what can happen is as we misunderstand what we're really talking about here, we automatically and instinctively put this idea of mission in a very narrow pathway. We understand it in a very narrow way. And, and this is what I mean when I say that. I think we go in one of two directions many times with this idea. And the first one is this. Many times we'll think, you know, in order to fulfill my mission, in order to fulfill my God-given mission, that means I have to abandon everything in my life. I have to give away all my money. I have to, to throw away my career. I obviously have to go full-time in the ministry. That's, that's what, what ministry and mission looks like, right? That, that must be what I have to do. We go that route or what else we'll do is we'll say, in order to fulfill this mission, every person I meet, I have to tell them directly and specifically about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I have to do that in order to fulfill my mission. We automatically put it in like this high-reaching, unreachable space that then we don't fulfill. And so we get tired and we get worn down because we feel like we're not doing anything because we misunderstand what we're talking about. So let me be clear about this. Not every person is called into full-time ministry. That's, That's not God's will for every single one of our lives. Now, some of us it is, and if that's the case, go do it. Sacrifice for it. Be all in on it. But that's not God's will for every single person. And what happens is we end up stripping ourselves of the work that God is trying to do actively in our own context. Like, listen, for some of you, God has called you to be a teacher God has called you to be a carpenter. He's called you to be in the mortgage industry. He's put you there for a purpose so that you can faithfully fulfill the mission of loving, serving, and spreading the gospel in your context. So do that. Faithfully step into that and don't feel like you're not not fulfilling the mission God has put on your life. Likewise, you don't have to slap every person in the face with the, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You don't have to do that. Now, should you try to create some on-ramps to eventually get there? Sure. But build relationships and prove yourself to be trustworthy and reliable and loving. In fact, this whole idea of loving others and serving others as our mission is oftentimes what leads directly to proclaiming the gospel. People are going to start to see, wow, man, why does this person love everybody so much? How are they so patient and kind? And why are they serving me so relentlessly? And that's the perfect segue to tell them of what Jesus Christ has done for you. This is what we need to be mindful of. So listen to me. Don't strip yourself of what God is trying to do in your life right now. Go be a disciple in your school. Go be a disciple in your workplace. Go be a disciple amongst your circle of friends. This is your personal mission. Step into it, okay? We have to understand this because otherwise we are going to get worn down and we're going to feel like we're not doing anything. I promise you, God knows why he's placed you where you're at. Step into it with confidence, okay? Now, the question begs, if we're supposed to be dedicated to personal growth and yet we're also called to personal mission, what exactly is the priority? Like, what, what takes precedence here? Because there, there are some ways that they conflict, right? Like, one of them is very inward-driven. The other one's very outward-driven. So, like, what should be our focus? And so this is what we ultimately have to land on, okay? So let me just reset here and make sure we're all on the same page, okay? God is very serious about your personal growth. In every way, he wants you to grow and develop and progress. And we see this very clearly in Scripture, In fact, Scripture talks about how we are being sanctified. There's a process that's happening. It says that we are being conformed to the image of the Son, becoming more and more like Christ. We see the disciples' rebuke for those who are standing still and not growing. This is very clear. Okay, But here's what we also see, and this is the key. Okay, The more and more that we spiritually mature and the more and more that we grow in knowledge and in grace and in Christ, the more and more we realize it's really not about us. It's not about our puffed up heads. It's not about how much we can learn and bragging about our relationship with God. That's not what it's about. True spiritual maturity takes us deeper and deeper into selflessness. Takes us deeper and deeper into love and into service and into ministry. And this is where we meet in the middle. Does God want you to improve and to grow? Yeah, but for his glory and for his kingdom. That's what he wants. In fact, it's very difficult to see any principles or commands in scripture that apply to spiritual growth apart from how it impacts and affects other people. In other words, it's not about you. It's about what God can do through you. That's what it's about. And so growth and development in God's kingdom is always servant-hearted, not self-hearted. It's always people-driven, not self-driven. And we have to understand this as we mature so we can step fully in to what God has for us. Now, listen, if you struggle with that a little bit, that's fine. If if you struggle and and maybe the way that you've viewed this endeavor is very internal, what I can get and what I can consume, that's fine. We've we've all been there, okay? We've all been there. But I think what what Paul is trying to tell us is it might be time to mature a little bit. Might, Might be time to grow up a little bit spiritually so that you can really see what God is trying to do in and through you. Like this should ultimately lead us to a different perspective of who we are and and what God has called us to be, a different perspective of how we read and understand scripture, right? And in fact, let me give you a really good example of this. And in Galatians chapter five, Paul is writing to them and he rolls out what is called the fruit of the spirit. In other words, this is what should bear out in your life if you truly have the Holy Spirit working within you. So let's read through this real quick so you can understand what is said here. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all the beautiful things that should come forth in your life if you have the Holy Spirit within you. It's a beautiful thing. But listen, if you read that scripture and what you see is a bunch of self-improvement attributes then you're reading it wrong. Because what Paul is trying to say are these are the things that the Holy Spirit is trying to work through you. In other words, he wants you to love other people. He wants you to have peace with other people. He wants you to be kind and good and faithful towards other people. The work of the Holy Spirit is not self-absorbed, but community-absorbed. That's what he's about. In fact, If you think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the things that he gives us to use, what are some of the things we see? Helping, teaching, encouraging, giving, interpreting, like all of these are not self-serving. It's for the benefit of other people. And this is the heart of God. This is what he wants for us. This is his desire that we would be growing and maturing Christians that realize we are sent to love, to serve, and to proclaim the good news of what he's done for us. This is the middle. We need to be growing spiritually, but as we grow spiritually, what we're going to see is that's going to take us outside of ourselves into a mission that we never saw before, that we never knew before as we impact the people around us.